You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. But they persisted in calling for his crucifixion and yelled all the louder, and their voices prevailed. A single line from Luke's Gospel narrative, which we read last week, has been kind of stuck with me all week. Everyone, especially those in power, knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate, Herod, great majority of the Pharisees, the vast majority of the people out in the crowd, and yet he went to the cross. How is that possible? How did that happen when most knew the truth? I think Pope Benedict puts it perfectly in our in the stations that we pray today, actually. He says, in that moment, they're caught up in the crowd. They're shouting because everyone else is shouting. They're shouting the same thing everyone else is shouting. And in this way, justice is trampled. Underfoot by weakness, the quiet voice of conscience is drowned out by the cries of the crowd. Evil draws its power from indecision and concern for what other people think. That's why we, on Good Friday especially, have to yell the voice of the crowd. We all have to do that together. Because we have to experience that. We have to experience what, in a sense, we do with our own lives. And I think we're kind of weirdly obsessed with you know, evil empires or monsters or aliens and vampires and, and you know, demons and other sort of grotesque villains because they take this sort of mysterious, invisible evil and they make it visible. And that's easy for us. We can see it and we can name it. But unfortunately, that's just not how the world really works. You know, even within what we would consider to have been historically evil empires. You know, Hannah Arndt, who's a great philosopher of the second half of the 20th century, she wrote in her most famous piece about the banality of evil especially regarding the Nazi empire. So the idea that evil is rarely malicious or premeditated or intentional from the sort of core of someone's being, you could say. So she, when she's writing, when she examined, watched the trial for Adolf Eichmann, one of the great horrible leaders of the Nazi party, the master bureaucrat in charge of the transport of millions of Jews and many other people to the concentration camps across Europe. Kind of led the charge on all that. And she said this of him, I was struck by the manifest shallowness in Eichmann, which made it impossible to trace the incontestable evil of his deeds to any deeper level of roots of motive or motives. The deeds were monstrous, but the doer at least the very effective one now on trial, was quite ordinary, commonplace, neither demonic nor monstrous. I don't know if it's ever really going to be easy for us to believe that evil can be the result of inaction as much as it is of action. You know, to believe that we could very possibly be on the wide road to hell, not for doing something terrible, but for just failing to do anything good. 
But I think that's actually a more accurate and more real way of comprehending evil. And I, I think that should, at the very least, wake us up. You know, as Christians, we're not dualists. And this is one good thing about this. You know, by dualist, I mean this idea that the, the world is this eternal battle between an equal good and an equal evil. That good and evil are somehow on level ground. It's just not what we believe at all. God is infinite. And all of us humans, all the angels and demons, Satan himself, we're all creatures. We only exist because God keeps us in existence. So there's no contest here. You know, evil is, as St. Augustine spoke and, and so many of the other church fathers confirmed, an absence of good. It's not a force in itself. It's just an absence. In everything we do, we shoot for the good. Everything that we do, we do it because we think it's good. And when we miss the mark, so when we fail in that, whether out of cowardice or bad judgment or a poorly formed conscience or self-interest, selfishness, or, or inaction, that's when we sin. As you, as you may know, sin literally means to miss the mark. That's what the word means. So I think it's good for us to be always aware, to, to be consistently reminded, and especially to be reminded on days like today, on Good Friday itself, of the ways in which we've sort of fallen short. Not, not because we hate ourselves, not out of self-hatred or scrupulosity, but because if we don't, we might wake up someday and realize that we have been walking a dark road. You know, perhaps, as Adolf Eichmann realized, as he's put on trial, that he's walked a road that's led to him being one of the most terrible human beings that's ever walked the face of the earth. And he's your average, everyday bureaucrat. We have to f- keep our eyes fixed on Christ, no matter the cost. And I think that's the beauty of our relationship with him, that, that it's by its very nature, it's intimate, it's personal, that we can never slip into the crowd the way we can in so many of our relationships. You know, when we sin, when we fall, Jesus doesn't turn and look in our general direction. He doesn't look at the crowd that we're in. Just as when Peter denied him, he doesn't look at the crowd. He looks directly at Peter. So with us, he looks at us. When Jesus is condemned to death, he looks at you, at me. When he hangs on the cross, he looks directly at you, directly at me. That's terrifying. It's uncomfortable, but it's crucial for us. You know, we, we just spoke the words to condemn Jesus from the crowd, from the midst of the crowd. Crucify him, crucify him. It's good for us to yell that out. And we tend to look at him in that way, even when we're in prayer. We don't look at him maybe in a, as an individual. We, we look at him on the cross, we say, oh, what a beautiful image. What a beautiful study. Uh, what a wonderful thought. He died for the salvation of the world. But now... I invite you on this Good Friday to look at Jesus alone, to look at him by yourself. When we do that, when we look at him by ourselves and we allow him to look at us, directly at us, it's a much different thing. There's no time for 
pondering. There's no intellectual study in that. When we're looking upon the face of the living God, there's a visceral, immediate comprehension of the truth, the sort of full weight of the moment, you could say, of who Jesus is, of what we've done, and of what he has done. So then what is it that we've done? Well, we've sinned. And so we've taken part in the crucifixion of our Lord. And what has he done? He's died so that we could live. I think it's hard for us to say, but it's true that when Jesus hangs on the cross, he looks upon us in judgment as God, and he judges us. And what is his verdict? That we're worthy. That we're worthy of his life. That we're worthy of eternal life. That we're worthy of his love. That we're worthy of being called his sons and daughters.